Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The best things happen after dark. Nightclubs are the ultimate space for self expression, escape, music, socializing, and forgetting for a moment the outside world. They're a place to discover ourselves, find new friends, and fall in love. As humans, we like to dance to a beat, and there's nothing like a good night out. I'm Jody Harsh. I'm a DJ, producer, and occasional club promoter. I know how to tear up a dance floor, and for this podcast, I want to explore with my guests how club culture and going out has shaped their identities and informed their work. I've got us the guest list and cue jump sorted, so we'll delve right into the hazy memory banks and hit the floor. This is Life of the Party. It's difficult to imagine the UK's clubbing landscape without today's guest. He's a London-based DJ, producer, remixer, club promoter and founder of Fantasy Sound, the record label. He's rubbed shoulders with the Armands and the Armins on the top of the DJ of the year lists, but always stayed true to his core beliefs and tastes. His club Trash became one of the most influential clubs of its time. Errol Alkin, this is your life of the party. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the intro. First of all, I want to start at the very beginning, your first ever party as a child. Do you remember a, like a birthday party growing up or something? Oh, God. Um, first party I can remember. Um, or was there like a big Christmas party? You know, I mean, weddings were the big thing when I was growing up. Being like Turkish Cypriot, um, there's a lot of weddings. Um, maybe to a month it felt like you know so um it was it was really 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 um uh from a young age I remember being around a lot of uh big Turkish weddings which would always involve um uh bands playing traditional music um belly dancers lots of children drinking skull lager um uh and um and adults smoking and drinking so um, so not much has changed nothing now. Nothing has changed much at all. No, it was really, um, yeah, just thinking back on it. I mean, there was a lot a lot of, I suppose, the the kind of social circle that would have kept back then would have been um, f- fundamentally like, yeah, weddings and stuff, you know, that. And uh, I, I didn't really, I didn't really know of any other kind of parties as such growing up. And then you started DJing as a teenager, right? Pretty young. Yeah, I was um I was still only um maybe 16. Okay, so a bit of sneaking out were you allowed? Yeah. No, no, I was sneaking out. I mean, I used to go to um when I was still at school, I used to go around to my friend's house, uh, Lee's house, and he had he had two decks. Like he was one of the only kids in school who had two decks and a mixer. We used to listen to pirate radio all the time, so I used to go around there and um uh I take some of the records that I had to school and then go to his house after and um and we'd um we would just kind of learn how to mix records together you know and record it on tape and um and then eventually uh I had the opportunity to go to nightclubs myself and uh part of it I suppose 
I suppose it's just in my kind of like in my psyche you know as, as well as enjoying the music I kind of wanted it to be something different in a way you know I kind of wanted what I really loved to, to be playing because I, was, I enjoyed that environment so much you know I, I really found clubs to be um, somewhere where I, I apart from home was the first sense of something that was a similar kind of feeling of like belonging you know in in that environment I was all, all of a sudden you kind of around um uh other people like similar people you know it was kind of like something that I probably didn't get when I was at school it wasn't until nightclubs and it suddenly like felt finding your tribe kind of yeah a hundred hundred percent that yeah do you remember walking into a club for the first time and how that felt and do you remember which club that was yeah absolutely yeah it was the uh it was the dome in Tufnell Park I just I just remember just like you know like you know like when you when you're younger like kind of certain spaces just feel bigger and more cavernous than than when you get older and you like you know it's like when you go back home to your old bedroom and stuff and it used to be feel really big and then you walk into it it's tiny it's a box room yeah yeah exactly I remember kind of walking into a nightclub and um and just it feeling just gigantic absolutely gigantic it felt like walking into a stadium and it wasn't like the boston arms is not or the dome which is above the boston arms in tufnell park is by no means like a like a huge room or anything it's um like you know the sound and just the fact that it was just so dark and there were just like i remember it being like just small glimpses of light like coming off from the bar or they'd be like just a couple of kind of old school kind of like you know, like uh, club lights in there, you know, it's like park hands or whatever. The spinny ball ones with the kind of like... Yeah, just, yeah, I I just remember it just being sort of just totally alien, but immediately getting really excited by it. And, you know, that first night was just, you know, as as kind of rooms fill up and, and the atmosphere becomes far more intense and you start noticing people, you know, or you know, you start recognising music and all those kind of things start happening. It's just such a sensory, it's such, 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 such an amazing um, moment, you know, and um, and it must have just had such a impact on me then because... Because um, you're still there. You haven't left. Still bloody there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty... It was pretty powerful. And then after that, it was like, right, when's the next one? You know, they're going, oh, there's one There's one on a Tuesday, which everyone goes to, which was the Camden Palace. Now Coco, yeah. Now Coco, yeah. Um, which, it was the same DJs. They did a night there on a Tuesday. There was a live band that played as well. And it was like two pound to get in or something. So, um, so then you go there and then you walk into Camden Palace for the first time, which, you know, it's like, wow. That is a big venue. Yeah. yeah. And do, I mean, I don't know when you first went there but yeah my the first club i ever went to um like coco was uh gay at the astoria so yeah big like coco yeah 15 with a whistle around my neck so that's like a (laughs) massive cavernous venue like we're talking about yeah my first gig that i bought a ticket to was um i mean I'd, i'd seen like bands before and stuff but the first one that I bought a ticket to was for the Astoria actually and I walked there from our, our, um, our after school I walked all the way from um, uh, I went to a school called William Ellis which is up in um, I don't know it's like Hampstead sort of thing as um, state school around there Par- Parliament Hills the Heath around there so I walked from there all the way down to the Astoria and um, I wanted to get a ticket 
for the um, Sub Pop Tour, which was uh, Nirvana headlining, Mud Honey, and Tad. And I think this was in like, it might have been 90 or 91, maybe the tail end of 90. And uh, it sold out by that point. And I'd saved my money up to go and get it. So I, I couldn't get a ticket for that. So I just looked at what other gigs were on there. It was on the wall. You know, quite innocently, is there anything else that I know? And there was a band on there called Cud, who um, is, is kind of banned from... Um, from uh from Leeds and um and I knew them I had their music on a tape someone had recorded me some of their stuff I knew through their songs so I bought a ticket for there and I remember like going um I remember going into the Astoria for the first time when I went to that gig I think I went I went on my own as well um and walking into the Astoria like and then another incredible old like Victorian like you know theater you'd have to go up through this sort of mezzanine bar and then you'd get into the main room right uh yes yeah 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 a few of them were like that as well like like the scala's like that as well scala yes exactly yeah yeah Yeah. we're lucky to still have the scala actually i mean so many venues are just you know not here anymore but yeah the scala's very similar to the astoria yeah I want to fast forward a few years, sorry, skipping around a bit here, but I want to talk about Trash Your Night, which ran on Monday. So first of all, it was at, uh, uh, it was in Soho. Originally, yeah. Originally in Plastic People, yeah, in 97. Then, of course, it ended up um, at the end, legendary club. I pretty much started my club career at the end, uh, discotheque on Thursday nights. I was doing The Door. Oh, yeah, of course. Hold on. Yeah, um... Hold on, what what years were you there then? Did, did, did we paper over? Yeah, yeah, I think there was a bit of a crossover. Um, I want to say 2006, 2005, 2006. Okay, yeah, so we would have, yeah, I mean, I, I whenever I was, um, whenever I was in town, whatever night it was, I'd always end up at the end um, just to pop in to say hello to everyone, you know. Um, it was such a great venue. It was an amazing venue. And you know what, it's, um, you know, when we, when we talk about, you know, like, um, how like you know we like a lot of like the nightclubs that we went to and that in those early years and stuff you know were held in these old Victorian theatres you know it wasn't until going to like a really super modern nightclub like the end uh in in the in the late 90s when I first started going there um and then something like fabric after you know where you kind of had these like bespoke spaces that that were designed purely for a type of music and a type of in uh, a, a type of kind of energy almost you know and and the end having its um its booth right there in the middle of the floor was something that like you know because there were two rooms weren't there and you wouldn't even though they weren't connected you wouldn't get really any bleed would you apparently there was when i dj'd because <laughs> I, I was the loudest around on there yeah so um uh yeah but no they, they were actually it was actually really well designed in that way like you know the, the acoustics did you know that what the end was was it was the tunnels for the uh, post service so those arches the two arches in the main room were kind of back and forth things for where horse court um horse drawn carts would go underneath the ground wow that's cool i didn't know that yeah in terms of music policy i mean i hate the word eclectic but there wasn't really a music policy was there um yeah i mean for trash i mean the music policy really was um i'm 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 completely aware of the concept of eclectism like in in music in that way but for me it was always down to kind of what um I, i like and and also the fact that I tend to like music from all over and it's never, um, 
you know, I'm I'm not someone who's back then. I, I was never into a particular genre on its own. And at the same time, that now fast forward, I'm not even into like particular like the whole output of a particular artist. You know, so it's not even like you know. I I love bands. I love lots of certain artists, but I also believe that um, that with uh, music. Uh, like what somebody can make one incredible record and the rest of the output could be a, a, a rubbish you know and it's finding that record that moment that's that that's the brilliant thing you know and if that kind of sits alongside something else of a similar kind of um, brilliance then you know you're kind of working with such potent you know pieces of um art or, or or whatever I mean just to kind of stick to one thing for me um has never really been that exciting because uh I you know I, I like psychedelic music for instance but uh, or disco music and you know I don't like all disco music and I certainly don't like all psychedelic music so it's just about finding finding those little jewels you know all over the place so your policy was just kind of great records I, I hope so that, that's what I aim for and then um and it's kind of how to put them together really was the was the like key for me it was just about how you can um how you kind of just put them together yeah that was it i feel like you really broke careers in that room as well i mean i think i saw too many djs play there really yeah and um peaches i definitely saw there yeah she played twice so she played well, okay she played at the beginning in like 2000 i think it was or 2001 yeah that's just before my time yeah but then she played again for dirt uh, which was like the sister club of trash after that and she played i think that was like right in like 2008 when trash finished in 2007 so right i was in the dj booth with her at that point okay so that would have been that one then yeah crawling around on the floor or something <laughs> And there was sort of like the trash look as well, wasn't there? I feel like people would get dressed up for it. Yeah, I I think the only thing that we really wanted people to do was to kind of, you know, to put as much effort into it as they would like a Saturday night, even though it was on a Monday. And I think that only kind of came around when we really noticed people were doing that automatically. Or we noticed that the people who came there, that was just their outlook anyway. That was That was how they would present themselves anyway you know so it it, it was about encouraging people really rather than kind of like you know telling them as such but the look was it was so varied you know yeah I guess like the music as well yeah it was I think looking back trash was really a big thing about you know just a lot of like freedom and just escapism I think you know I'm interested in how clubs evolve over time as well, from the um, artwork to the music policy to the crowd. So how do you feel like the night over its 10 year period sort of had a had a journey? I don't want to use the word brand, but how was how was uh, Trash's journey? If I was to say that it was all kind of planned and it was all it was all deliberate, I'd be lying, really. It, it wasn't it was really driven by so many natural elements but I do believe in order for those elements to kind of come forward and to tell you what they are then you do a lot of work in the background to get to that point you know I mean you know that when Plastic People closed uh you know we wanted to find somewhere that was as good as Plastic People or just a little bit bigger because we were selling Plastic People out every Monday so when we found there was a venue and this was the great thing about 
you know, the West End back then in the late 90s, early noughties, there were nightclubs everywhere, you know, but and you didn't even know about half of them. So I went and looked at loads of different nightclubs to see what one felt right, you know, uh, not just for us, but for our crowd as well. You know, a big part of it was to make sure that, you know, they, the uh, the venue was would be accommodating for a crowd like ours, you know, that they would have a security that would be the right kind of security for our crowd, you know, because sometimes some nightclubs can deal with some pretty difficult, you know, clientele on the weekends. And that can sometimes transpose itself into the midweeks, you know, so you had to have quite sensitive. Bane of my life. <laughs> yeah. Heavy-handed security, totally. Absolutely. So, you know, it was a case of looking at loads of places and then eventually found a place called the Annex, which was on Dean Street, which isn't there anymore, unfortunately. And that was great because that held like 350 people and plastic people held 180 people. So when we moved there, it was comfortable. And then all of a sudden that started selling out. So when that closed, um, my, my, my feeling at that point was if I can't find somewhere that's not good enough to move to, there's no point kind of, you know, taking a step backwards or sideways, you know, let's really aim high. And that's when the end came in, you know, when, um, uh, it was a club that I used to go to myself on the weekends, on the weekends, I was able to, uh, to go and see, you know, DJs from a complete different musical space that people might've assumed that I was, I was into, I suppose. And, um, I just thought, well, you know, if you don't ask, you don't get really. So I just reached out to them. I said, listen, I've got this night, you know, we've got really great crowds, uh, you know, and I really love your space. And I was just wondering if you'd be interested in us talking about potentially moving there, you know, because we're about to lose our home. And they came straight back and said, we know all about trash. Uh, the, the general manager had been a few times himself. He said, yeah, come in and see me. I just went in and I just told them pretty much everything like I've just told you about you know what what kind of club it was and, and what we do and they knew already and they thought well yeah why not yeah and you ended at 10 10 years yeah exactly well I, I love the word decade yeah draw a nice clean line underneath it yeah it's great if you can give people when people say like, how long did it last rather than giving them a number you can give them a word <laughs> so, yeah yeah decade yeah exactly <laughs> like a decade it, and it's exactly as well it's exactly 10 years to the week and I guess around that time there was ghetto around the corner. Yeah. Yep. Nag 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 on Wednesdays at ghetto. Yep. Oh my god. Yeah, I I was a resident on the Fridays there at the cock. Were you? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, with Princess Julia and yeah. Tasty Tim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. For Jim and Wayne, yeah. It's, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I I still love that venue. It's great fun. There was smash and grab at um punk down on uh, Soho Street and Boombox. Yeah. Oh, gold yep. the golden era. <laughs> the golden era i mean the thing is i really like like by the time trash had finished i mean even before then really i mean i'd i was in nightclubs so much i mean at one point i was doing like 180 gigs a year or something like that because i was doing every friday every saturday and every monday you know so it was three out of seven days and then on top of that there'd be like the occasional sunday or thursday or whatever so for a while i was kind of like i was like non-stop so i didn't really like if I had a night off, I'd probably be at home, kind of making music or just getting my get, getting myself back together again. You know? Yeah, yeah. And then I guess around that time, you had Mix Mag's DJ of the Year award, right? Uh, yeah, completely unexpected as well. But, right, um, right. And was that yeah. a big surprise? I feel like you didn't play ball with that. You had the opportunity to sell out big time and didn't. I guess you remained true to your core and your tastes. Well, I wasn't really that. T taking too much notice of 
of kind of um uh I don't know what word you'd use if it's like accolade or anything like that around me at the time you know like I just got on with what I was doing you know I had my head in so much stuff that you know like like running the club and you know DJing every weekend and producing and whatever and I and I never had like a manager I've never had a manager I only had an agent who I'm still with I've had I've been with for like 20 years you know and I I really didn't go out to sort of to kind of um I I just wanted to do, to do the best thing that I felt I could do you know it wasn't about competing with other DJs because I think the whole thing of competing against DJs is just such a such an empty kind of <laughs> such an empty thing it's like how can you do that it's you know like become like a politician or something you know what I mean so I mean my whole thing has been just to you know with trash it was like create the space that you want to exist that you want to be in you know that you want to invite others in and they want to be in as well and make that as great as it can be and then you know I just try to take that same mindset into into what I do you know if it's whatever it is it's kind of to compete against other people for something that is fundamentally an extension of yourself in the truest sense possible, just to me, just seems completely like pointless, you know? A waste of time, 100%. Yeah. And then you had a residency at Bugged Out, didn't you, for a long time? Still, I think I still do, actually. <laughs> I think you're right because I, I kind of like ended up being a resident for them around like 2002 or something. Um, and that kind of carried on. And I suppose I was resident in London when it was at the end, you know, when they had bugged out at the end and then they kind of moved venue. So I was always on the lineups there and I still am kind of regular on their lineups. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Do you enjoy the consistency of a residency? Does that give you space to kind of develop anything in your sound? Playing in the same room week by week. Yeah. Uh, was it was it weekly or monthly? Um, the bugged out one was monthly, I think. And it was in room two at the end. It, that was in room two. And the re- really good thing about that was, um, you know, you could use that that set those two hours to kind of just test a lot of new records out you know rather than be like a headliner where you know you could kind of take a few risks or be a bit more playful with it you didn't have to sort of feel that um you know that that, that they kind of like wanted anything from you other than just um your great music selection hopefully yeah great yeah hopefully <laughs> and you're quite big in the indie queer scene as well i believe would you say that like um You've played Homo Block. And... Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of, I, I used to DJ. I mean, like the great thing about Trash was that it really was open to everybody in that way. And it wanted everyone to feel welcome regardless of, you know, gender or sexuality or anything like that. And um, and I was then, uh, I, I was I was also resident at Pop Stars at the Scala. Yeah. Great night. Friday nights at the Scala. And then, yeah, I mean, and, and also at the Cock um, and places like, 
Homo Electric, like, you know, playing regularly for them up there. Um, also in Amsterdam, like the row parties uh, over there, um, where we played last time I my seen you. It was like last year, wasn't it? At the festival, Milkshake. Milkshake. Oh, so good. I, see, like I don't my know. Favourite. We I, were in the booth together, yeah. We were. We were okay. Yeah, okay, great. Yeah. Yeah, it was good fun, that one, actually. It got a little bit out of hand near the end as well. Um, yeah, Honey Dijon was on the lineup. Uh, Blessed Madonna. Felix Housecat. Felix the Housecat was. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, I've always kind of, um, I've always been, you know, in, in involved with those parties, the queer parties, and they're, they're just, you know, they're, they're, they're so much fun and musically as well. It kind of, I feel that I can tap into, you know, the, a part of me that can kind of play into the spirit of it a bit more. You know what I mean? So it's, I really enjoy them. And which of your DJ sets sort of over the years have stood out as being really special? Like when, when have you come out the DJ booth thinking, oh, I've got the best job in the world? Um, the one that really sticks with me that um, that really kind of, um, that had a big impact on me was because it, it was basically, I think it was 2006 and it was Benny Kasim Festival. And um, it was on a Thursday and um, I, I flew in there I got taken like to the main stage. The sisters were playing on the main stage, and um, and obviously we're friends and stuff. So I was just watching them play, um, and I said to the artist liaison, "Oh, should I get to my stage? Because I think I'm on in like an half an hour or something like that." And they looked at me and they were just like, "What do you mean?" And I was like, "I'm surely I'm in some kind of tent somewhere, you know, <laughs> over over another part of the festival." And they're just like, "No, no, no, you're you're on next here." And I was like, and I was just like. I didn't. I completely didn't realize I was playing the main stage at Benny Kasim, like after the headliner, and and I hadn't kind of prepared myself to like play to like tens of thousands of people, you know, after like their live show, which you know was like, it's like like super, like it's, it's like a musical on ice, you know, <laughs> you know, lots of yeah, you have to hold on to that crowd, right? Yeah, You've got and to keep them there. Exactly, and they're going to take like the Sis sisters off, and then they're going to wheel on like a table with like two CD players on. And I'm going to like shuffle over to it. So yeah. And um, I was just like, uh, I just remember like, you know, the gig ended and they like cleared the stage as fast as possible, pushed the table on there. And, and I, I just kind of like, I actually, I, I don't really get nervous before DJing, but I was kind of slightly like annoyed with myself. I hadn't like, I wasn't aware that I was, I was playing, something of that kind of prestige I suppose you know it's such a large audience um but it was absolutely fine I kind of just started the first track I think I played the first track was like um standing the way of control like the original version of it by the gossip yeah great record and uh, and you know tens of thousands of people just swarmed back to the stage it was incredible like I don't know how many people were there it was like I mean it was the main stage many seems so it was like thousands and thousands of people and um and just completely like winged it, you know. And I remember seeing like uh, you know Jason from Sisters at the front. He loves a party, doesn't he? He does love a party. It just felt really. Uh, it, I mean, again, it was just one of those things where you just got to trust in yourself. Sometimes you know you might end up in a situation that you weren't expecting, but it'll, it'll, it'll be all right. And I think even like you know this year, someone said to me like, "I saw you at Benny Kasim in 2006, and it was like one of the best." You know, one of those shows that everyone always talks about. Yeah, and 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 you can't really plan that at all. You can't really plan to do that. I don't think not as a DJ because 
you know, as DJs, you know, we try to be as kind of reactive as you can be to what's in front of you, who's in front of you, and kind of to measure that and to kind of read it and to do the best thing that you feel you can do. So to kind of um, have an assumption as to what it's going to be like beforehand and then reach that is always kind of like, it's always a bit, a bit of a bit of a kind of like a, illusion to me, really. Mm, you're setting yourself up for some kind of like, oh, that was that then. I guess the surprise element of that show is what made it amazing. You know what I think? And you were like what? <laughs> I think I, I think you're right. I think that's what it was. I was completely unaware of it, and then you just end up in the in the middle of it, and then you you, you kind of come through it, and you come through it feeling kind of content and happy with it. I think's really important. Do you have a favourite venue to play anywhere in the world? No, it's always about people for me. There are venues which are great, you know, there's great, great venues which are sound, great sound systems and stuff, but really it's, you know, I've played in some dives and stuff, but it's, you know, the, the crowd has been so great, it, it completely overrides that. Like, I, I really believe in it's like people over over those places. Yeah, exactly. It's all about that, the people and the sense of community and that raw energy in a nightclub that you can't really compare with anything else. Absolutely, but it's also it's also down to um, you know I, I've played in some like kind of really terrible through some terrible sound systems in some shoddy rooms with you know no lights or anything like that, and it's just been amazing experiences really. So it's just about creating that energy. I feel. Yeah. Did you do some streams in lockdown? I did, and I've never done it before. You know, I've never done that kind of thing before because for me it was all it's always been about just real clubs and moments and people and stuff but obviously when you're kind of faced with as we were all faced with you know the situation we were in I did something with um ID and we did a big benefit for homo block did a big benefit um a charity fundraiser and I played a set on there and I think that's it yeah I, I did quite a few as well and it takes a minute to get used to that doesn't it that sort of lack of exchange of energy that you would get in real life and DJing to a phone it's like different <laughs> it is it is different and and you do really kind of um you um you piece you know your music together in a different way I think you know um like I say cause it, it's, it's not reactive at all to what's on there because it's just hard to measure any of it you know you just gotta just hope that what you're gonna play is something that is going to sound interesting to somebody listening to down the other end of a phone, really. Yeah, I did a few on Instagram Live as well, and you can see the comments coming up and stuff, and <laughs> it's a bit distracting and <laughs> yeah. makes you a bit nervous. And I was like, ah, oh, sweating my makeup off. <laughs> I had a, I, I did that, and, and my friend later told me that, like, he goes, oh, everyone was in there, you know, it was, it was a bit like the green room of, of like a nightclub, and they were like, so and so was in there, so and so was chatting to so and so, whatever. So it was a little bit, it was a little bit kind of um, a bit like that, but um, but yeah, I mean, you know, in in this in this instance, you know, when when we don't have much to kind of um, play with, I suppose, right now, you know, it's um, it's something, you know. Yeah, and also while we've been in lockdown, have you been focusing on making music? And obviously, you've got. You've got the label. Yeah, um, no music, really, not much, because I kind of didn't have the... I just didn't have the... I didn't really care for making music, really, to be honest with you. It was, you know, there was just... There has been so much news that's 
very saddening, you know, that you don't really, that part of you just isn't there, you know, to go and be playful and to kind of, yeah, I, I just couldn't draw in that area, you know. Um, I, I was very happy just kind of just taking care of what I needed to take care of on a purely pragmatic level. Like I know at the beginning of lockdown, so many people were saying, yeah, you know, they're going to write their book, they're going to make their album, they're going to do all the things that they, but I, you know, I, for me, I, I just couldn't really kind of um, get my head around that. I just wanted to, I just wanted to kind of do whatever that needed to be done in front of me, really. I once saw you play for a really long time. <laughs> um, oh, I think it was at Village Underground. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it might have been, yeah. And you played for a really, really long time, right? Uh, Village Underground, I think it was like six or seven hours, maybe. Yeah, where the hell is that stamina coming from? That's very impressive. I did, I used to do fire, and I used to do like nine, ten, eleven. I thought it was the most I did, uh, ten or eleven, maybe. Hours. Did you just drink loads of Red Bull? No. I had I had just a banana and one vodka and orange before I started. Wow, that's that the that's the secret. That's the <laughs> the banana and and yeah, vodka it. diet. That's it. But um I really I really I really enjoy it. I really enjoy playing for a long time because again it's like you know what we were saying earlier about um joining the dots between lots of loads of different kind of things. I mean if you're playing that long you need you need to kind of go to different places. And you need to, without, you know, falling into the cliche of like going on a on a journey, you know, telling a story, telling a story, yeah. But you kind of, if you know, you know, if, if you kind of, you have a, a vague map in your head, then I think you need to give yourself a little bit of structure, but also allow a lot of room for, you know, we talked about earlier about spontaneity, yeah, reading situations, and and also not being a bore as well, you know, like kind of knowing when the right point is to um to kind of like flip everything on its head or do a left turn yeah 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 have you ever found love on the dance floor um i have certainly had huge um emotional moments on dance floors yeah but not attached to anybody else (laughs) <laughs> not not that I love myself or anything like that, but I think definitely, um, you know, hearing music that's just in, in certain, you know, like how people can, what some DJs can do is they can, they can like put a series of records together, which can like transcend the individual parts of those records. You know, it just kind of leads you into somewhere and it kind of does something to you. You know, it stirs something in you and it takes you somewhere and, and it, it draws something quite incredible out of you. And I suppose as, as a DJ, it's, to have felt that, you want to also offer that as well in some way. Not all the time. You can't do it all the time and nor should you do it all the time. But especially if you're, you know, playing long sets or particular places or at a particular point in time or something, you know, sometimes if, if, if you're able to kind of achieve that, kind of thing through music then it's great do you feel that when you're playing sometimes as well almost like you're a clubber on the dance floor um or do you feel like you're more the person in control telling the story um i think it's a mixture of both i think i can feel it if it's if there's any chance of it something being felt out there i think i can feel it coming on a little bit myself that heart tummy thing yeah a little bit like i've definitely kind of there's a few records that um 
that you know, you know, if you're going to play, that they're, they're going to take, and 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 they tend to sometimes not be potentially you know uh, clubby records in themselves. You know, they tend to be records outside of the club, or you know, it, it happens a lot with um, you know more kind of song based genres potentially, like you know disco as well. You know, yeah, the emotion in the strings and the lyrics, and yeah, and those records are designed for that you know totally disco's great for that (laughs) yeah i can laugh i can cry to a disco record yeah exactly if you could visit a club from the past what would that be oh god lord um i would probably and quite obviously probably say studio 54 just because you know there's been there's just been so much written about it and you know films and legendary tales and um it's so romanticized isn't it as well we know yeah. all the black and white pictures we know how it was only great for 18 months or so and <laughs> that magical moment in time yeah i mean that would be my first choice as well of course such a cliche all right i'm gonna throw a couple of quick fire questions at you okay okay you're throwing a party yeah who are you inviting they could be living or dead, let's say three names. Three names. Uh Bob Mortimer, James Brown, also just for the character. And may and Richard Pryor. <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be a really interesting mix. Yeah. Really interesting mix. Yes. And who's the DJ? Who's playing the records? Um The DJ, um I think I'd need to share this with somebody who I know. So I'd invite Rory Phillips from Trash. Okay, yep. He 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 knows his way around DJing a, a, a party, a dinner party. Was it a was it a dinner party? I wasn't too sure because I only left. It, it is three now. People is enough for dinner, I suppose. Um, I didn't realise we were serving food, but we absolutely can in this venue. We have a food and beverage license. You know, one thing I have done in lockdown was I I really got into making cakes. Oh really? Yeah. Banana bread and all that kind of stuff. Well, I've I've only kind of um I've only really got into um carrots and um, lemon and lime cake, so I'm big I'm big on citrus. So uh, yeah, I really enjoy it. All right, can't wait can't wait <laughs> to taste that. Is that what you're promoting at the moment? Yeah, this is it. Catch my new cake coming out soon. <laughs> new twelve inch. Yeah, my new. <laughs> All right. And on that note, Carol <laughs> Elkin, this is your life of the party. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. It was really nice to talk to you. You too. Thank you so much. This has been Life of the Party with me, Jody Harsh. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you haven't subscribed just yet, please do. There's a new episode every week. Right. See you at the next party. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.